All right, and welcome back to the Guys with Feelings podcast, where two guys discuss the ideas, events, influences, and yes, the feelings that make them better men. My name is Jamin Yi. I'm Gabe Rose. And today we are going to go and start with a little conversational potluck of sorts, where we'll each bring a meaty or vegetarian dish to the table and kind of go into a deep dive. And then we'll jump into our rapid fire quick pick section where we're, we're going to talk about the top three things that we've been recommending and sharing with other people this past month. Sounds like a plan. Yeah. You ready to dive in? Let's do it. Awesome. And uh, note to, if you're listening on the podcast, I don't know if you can really tell, but right now me and Gabe are decked out in onesies. I am a dragon. I am a pink dinosaur. Yes. And uh, we look fabulous, if yeah, I yeah. say so myself. It was one of our it was one of our quick picks last episode, so it just seemed like the right thing to yeah. do. Yeah. Honestly, everyone should own a onesie. And it's really important that you have a tail. But yeah. Anyways, happy holidays. It's, we're recording the day after Christmas and Hanukkah yeah. right now. Um, yeah. How's your how's your holidays been so far? It was great. It was great. So to get the best of both worlds, my dad's family uh, celebrates Christmas. So we got to go spend some some family time with them. And then... That's do some Hanukkah awesome. stuff with my family. Yeah. Yeah, it's all good. Yeah, 2016 messed up a lot of things, but it was kind of cool how they got Christmas and Hanukkah just right on the same day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we, we did something right. We yeah. did something right. It was awesome. Sweet. All right, well, we're going to go right into our conversational potluck. So, Gabe, what are you bringing to the table today? I'm, I'm going first. Okay. Um. So, for my end of the conversational potluck, I'd love to share a little bit about uh, the backpacking trip, the solo backpacking trip I did, I think it was last weekend. Yeah, like a week and a half ago. Um, so this is, I have a, what I try to make an annual ritual, but it's really sort of only works out every other year yeah. um, to actually get around to it, of, of doing a solo backpacking trip. I actually, so I've always enjoyed backpacking. I sort of grew up doing it with my dad. Um, and brother and um and my mom a little bit and uh and you know it was actually the first one of these i did was actually uh when sarah and i were broken up for a few months and i was actually in sort of like a more difficult place in life yeah. i was just like feeling a little down and it was like it was christmas and you know like because like my immediate family doesn't celebrate christmas i didn't like have to be with family right. and i was sort of like didn't have anything I needed to be doing. And it was just sort of like on a whim. I was just like, you know what? I'm just going to grab my backpacking stuff. I actually didn't have a, I had to buy it, go buy some stuff. I'm going to get everything I need for backpacking. I'm just going to head off to Joshua Tree and see what happens. And I just had a really amazing experience. Yeah. Um, and I was like, I need to do this more often. And so I've sort of, I've done a few trips now. Yeah. Um, see, that's, that's amazing to me because uh, I don't know, just the thought of going out and backpacking all by yourself in the wilderness it's kind of terrifying to me. And I bet to a lot of people that sounds really scary. Um, could you, yeah, could you explain a little bit about like what you got out of that experience? And like, yeah. Yeah, I think there's like a few things. Like one is like, it's it's pretty rare that we're like really alone. Like right. we spend time by ourselves, but like that usually includes like our phones, our laptops, like it includes some sort of like connection to sort of like the broader world. And there's really something to be said for having like an extended period of time, like 48 hours to really just like be by yourself. Um, and sort of like, I, I can almost, every time I do it, I sort of like feel the evolution of just my perspective in ways that are a little hard to like actually describe, but just mm -hmm. like you start to like, sort of like your perspective on yourself starts to shift a little bit in a cool way when it's not, you're not relating yourself to other people or other like thoughts or whatever. You're just, it's just you and the wilderness. Right. Um, my goal is always to find uh, trips where I will see as few other people as possible, yeah. which is nice. And then like the thing I love about backpacking in general, or one of the things is like, it's highly inconvenient and in that like <laughs> when you're like everything you're doing, you have to like, takes a long time, right? Like making right. your dinner is sort of like complicated and takes a while. Like setting up your tent takes a while. Like, so like you have all these tasks you have to perform like to be, to stay alive basically. <laughs> and it's like, and they're like, they're tasks that normally going to the bathroom, like everything's normally so much quicker and more convenient in the sort of normal world because we have all these like tools and technology and whatever. But right. like now everything takes more time. And there's just something to like the discipline of having to like, set up your own little kitchen and like you know sort of every little thing taking a while and taking focus and effort right i just really enjoy and so then when you're doing that on your own it's 
that sort of like the the fun and sort of like intrigue and like experience of that is heightened because you're you have no one else to even help you with it it's just it's just you and like what you're doing to survive and there's something about that like having a relationship with with like those tasks yeah um that is really nice and I have to imagine that because these tasks are like key to your survival, like if you do not do these tasks, you could die or be in a very bad place. I have to imagine that it it brings a degree of like presence and mm, of yeah. like of yeah of like being in the moment that we normally don't have to to be in, right? Yeah. Like you can't you can't just be like lost in your thoughts of the past or the future. Like you have to be here and now and taking care of what needs to be done. Yeah. Yeah, and you just appreciate the simpler things a lot more. I like I like one like funny little experience I had. So like every every trip I do, something always goes wrong. <laughs> um, the first time that was I got uh, lost. I lost my tent in the dark, and my yeah. tent was sort of like hidden. It took me an hour and a half in the freezing cold in the dark to find my tent. I didn't know whether I was going to find my tent and <laughs> oh, like man. make it through the night. So that was that was bad. The second trip, uh, my car got. I took a two wheel drive car on uh, a road that was four wheel drive recommended, which was a big mistake. <laughs> my car got stuck on a rock and I couldn't get it off. So it, that took me six hours. It almost ruined my entire trip. It took me <laughs> six hours and some dude who was like, like literally this guy just like saved my life by like take this random stranger took his tow truck like drove in and like towed me out um, that's which amazing was really amazing um this time the worst thing that happened to me thankfully was i had a bad encounter with a cactus um, <laughs> which was like not pleasant but um but not as bad as the previous two trips right um but like so i got so i ran into this cactus sort of hard whatever long story and so i had <laughs> cactus like quills like the sticky things like all in like my pants and like some of them were in my leg already and like my backpack and like I realized, I don't know if you've never had like cactus stuck all up in your clothes. It takes a while. Like each one, you have to pluck out one at a time, yeah. and then like usually they break, so you have to pluck it out from one side of your pants and the other <laughs> oh, side man. of your pants. And so like I sort of was like, "Fuck!" I just like sat down to start picking out cactus quills, and like for like the first few minutes, I was really annoyed. I was like, "I have all these other things I wanted to do. Now I'm gonna have to turn back earlier than I wanted to turn back because I'm losing daylight." And instead of spending half an hour like bouldering getting to the top of this mountain i wanted to get to right i'm picking cactus quills out of my pants <laughs> um but like as i was sitting there doing that i don't know like all of a sudden i had the perspective shift where i was like oh this is just another task i'm doing you know like right. i i sort of narrowed my universe from the whole world like that oh, all these things i could be doing exploring to just like my pants with the cactus in them and i was like okay i sort of became like a game like how how what's the most like effective strategic way to get each all this cactus stuff out of my pants and like once i sort of like focus just only on the task at hand and really sort of like yeah found like the the joy and like the challenge and the intrigue and like how to get all these things out of my pants like i sort of enjoyed it it was fun <laughs> and it was like fun to sort of like notice and feel that that perspective shift yeah that's awesome yeah hearing you talk about the solo backpacking trip uh, reminds me a lot of how I feel like people will talk about going on like a meditation retreat, like a silent retreat for a little while. Mm. Um, and I wonder if they, if they do have a lot in common, like, I'm curious for you, like when you do a solo backpacking trip, like what are, what are some of the effects that you feel from like, yeah, just being on your own and not kind of being removed from human world a little bit? Yeah. So, so it's interesting. One, one thing that always happens um, is eventually I start talking to myself more, which like, I don't know really exactly what that means, but I always like, that's always a sign to me that like my, like by like 24 hours in, like my like sort of mindset has started to shift a little <laughs> bit. Um, I don't know. It's sort of fun to talk to yourself. Yeah. I don't know if you've ever like, just like if you have situations where you wind up doing that, but there's something about like the like intensity of the relationship that you have with yourself when it's just you. <laughs> yeah. That like, and the lack of self-consciousness, right? Because it's just you. Right. That like, that you start actually verbally addressing yourself as sort of like part of your conversations. It's, just, it's sort of like nice in the same way, like writing can be nice to get things mm. out of like the thought loop in your head and actually just be like expressing them out loud a little bit. Right. right. Um, I don't know. There's something fun about that. So yeah. And it's just like, it's just sort of all the things you'd expect, like sort of like head clear it's like a little bit of a reset button mm -hmm. for wherever you're at it can be a little clarifying in terms of like it was interesting to like notice like what things um i spent like a lot of time thinking about where like my mind would really go a lot right. when, when there's no 
there's no stimulus, right? It's just whatever is actually coming up for me. So. Right. Yeah, yeah. and it, it's one of those things like it sort of seems like, I mean, a lot of people do much crazier trips than I do, right? I'm doing like two nights. So it's not, I'm not like, a, <laughs> I'm not like Bear Grylls, right. or like, you know, like, uh, like a PCT through hiker, you know? Yeah. Um, but, um, but a lot of friends who like don't do outdoors or backpacking stuff so much, it's sort of like, seems like crazy and all intimidating. And like, there's a decent amount of gear you need, um, uh, which, you know, you can like borrow from friends usually if you don't have it. But like, other than the gear, which, you know, you got to get, it's not as like hard. Like one thing I'd, I'd love to share is like for people that feel like interested in it, like, oh, that's crazy, but I could never do that. Like most things in reality, it's not as hard as it seems like it'll be right. Like right. There's lower barriers to entry than, than you, you would think. expect. You know, exactly. I think anyone, if they just got the gear together and spent like an hour or two, just like researching online or just talking to someone who sort of knows something about backpacking, they could just grab a pack and go out and do it and just sort of have the experience for themselves, which is great. Yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. Like, I'm definitely not a wilderness guy, <laughs> but I, I've i been intrigued at the idea of, like, solo backpacking. Um, I mean, would you have any recommendations to a first-timer like me if, if I, yeah, if I wanted to try this and it seems super intimidating and kind of scary? Yeah, I think just, like, talk to someone who, like, has some experience in gear would be one thing. I think REI is, like, an amazing store, like, both yeah. because they have everything you could ever need um, in, in case you want to, like buy stuff because you can't borrow it or because you think you'll want to go a lot and sort of reuse it but also the people at REI are just so nice and helpful like they're you just talk to them for as long as you want they're all like very experienced and can share a lot of perspective so um yeah besides just like basic online research um I think uh desert trips in the winter are great um summer in the mountains is great but just like this is pretty easy to just like go online find just some little like one or two night trips and maybe just one night if two nights feels intimidating and just sort of get out and go. Awesome. Cool. That's a, that's a great recommendation. Um, and also just, yeah, I kind of want to explore it like a tiny bit. Like it seems like every time I go camping, especially the more remote and the more further away I'm from people and, and, you know, just, yeah, civilization, it does have this really like calming and grounding effect. Um, I'm kind of curious, like what, what do you think, that is yeah i'm not sure i think it's like but i think whatever it is it's like the same thing like you said like you know the silent retreat meditation more broadly yeah. i mean i think there's something just grounding about so, so you just come back to like the um the the whole fish asking what is water right, right? like there's something about stepping out of your day-to-day -day experience that allows you to look at your day-to-day -day experience um more like objectively and just not not be not be like uh captive of it but yeah, just yeah, actually yeah. understand that it is an experience that's happening to you it's not like what the world or the universe right. or the universe actually is fundamentally right yeah i think um, there's something about being in human world right civilization where we're just constantly bombarded with thoughts and and opinions and we're we're lost like scheduling things and worrying about stuff and all these events that pretty much 99% just only exists in our imagination. And I feel like when, when I get out into wilderness, it's like, it's like a reminder of like, Oh yeah. Like when you step away from that and it kind of settles a little bit, it's like, Oh yeah, this is, there's reality here yeah, also. Yeah, and like, yeah. and I'm a part of it. Like, I think a big part is it also reminds you of your, your place in nature. Mm. I think, I think when we're in civilization and caught in thoughts and just always going like, we're so stuck in that that we sometimes forget like oh we're like a part of this huge ecosystem of this yeah. huge world and we're like a tiny part of it a speck yeah it's yeah. the same feeling you get when you like look up into the stars right yeah. like and uh, and i think there's something about it that like puts you actually back in touch with like the whole flow instead of just being like so separated and lost in, in mind world yeah and i think something about that is actually is natural you yeah know, it's actually like yeah. it's kind of bringing us back to to the to a, a natural state yeah that that reminds me that was like my i think when i think back to my first trip and i get it every trip but it was like the it was like the aha moment of my first trip was mm -hmm. like i was just struck with how small i was and i'd done mm -hmm. a decent amount like backpacking you've been in the wilderness whatever but there's something about being out there by myself where it was just me in like the vast expanse of like wilderness and just just yeah it was like i i never felt that small in my life but in a that's like 
in a good way. In a like, good that way. sounds negative when you say that, but it's, <laughs> right. I actually mean it in a phenomenally positive way. Because when you realize how phenomenally small you are, like unimaginably small, yeah. it like fills you up with a sense of wonder yeah. about the world around you. you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I, I love that feeling. I think that's one thing that keeps drawing me and pulling me back is that, that feeling of smallness right. and like insignificance, but then massive significance. It's sort of like paradox. <laughs> Paradoxically yeah. at the same time. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. Well, I might, I may have to try my first uh, backpacking trip solo sometime yeah. soon. That'd be cool, man. You you would get a lot out of it, <laughs> I, I can say with certainty. Awesome. Let me borrow some of your gear and then yeah, yeah, you <laughs> we'll it. make yeah. that happen. <laughs> cool. Awesome. Thanks, Gabe. That was great. Cool, man. Well, I'd love to hear out what you're bringing to the table this month. Yeah. Um. So so basically, like in the last month or so, I've I've been dating a little more, and a topic that's just been constantly like, coming to my mind more is like, how can I date more consciously or mm. like even more responsibly? Um, and it's just something that I've noticed. Um, you know, I I just feel like uh, a lot of us when we date, we do so like in this really like it's almost like this like competitive like zero sum game kind of way and uh and i don't know if people just become very like callous when dating um and i'm talking about myself as well i've noticed this over you know the last like 10 years or so but um there's a there's a way in which you know like people will like be really like indirect and will ghost if they're not interested will just like drop off and stop texting someone you know um people often in you know, relationships will like, you're talking about sort of like playing hard to get. Yeah. Playing hard to get, or even like, uh, you know, not like putting off, like not wanting to like talk about like what your guys' needs and wants are. So, you know, you DTR, you know, define the relationship like months down the line. Um, and whereas maybe two people had like different ideas of where things were going. Um, I just, I've just been more and more conscious of like how much of dating these days seems, uh, kind of like, mean <laughs> and mm. and unethical in some ways um and so yeah i've been i think i've been trying to practice more and more like how can i date more consciously you know and i, I think our culture kind of gears us to to act in certain ways um and i'm trying to just figure out ways to like push back against that and and try to find a way that feels like good for me mm-hmm. um and i guess like some examples of that is you know like if you know you go on a date and if you're not interested in someone um a lot of people will just like kind of like drop drop off or just like not respond to texts and i've been practicing like actually like being honest you know and being like hey like really enjoy talking about this and that with you you're an awesome person but um i didn't really feel any chemistry on my end but you know really enjoyed hanging out with you um and yeah, it's a lot easier said than done. Mm-hmm. But um, so far on just my my small amount of experience in trying things like that, it's it's been, I don't know, I feel a lot better myself. Like mm-hmm. it, it feels, it does feel more honest and like, and, and it feels like you're, yeah, you're just not misleading people. You're yeah. kind of, you're being direct and you're, and you're kind of, you're kind of giving like direct feedback um, mm-hmm. and just not, yeah. And not letting people, I think one of the worst things about modern dating is 90% of it is just people just being super confused. Mm-hmm. You know, like, is he into me? Is he not into me? Like, does he want a relationship? Is he just trying to hook up? Like, like there's just a million questions. And I think a lot of times we feel like we can't just ask the other person. Mm-hmm. And so, like, I'm trying to, like, <laughs> more and more, like, get in the mindset of just, like, of just asking and saying the things instead of trying to, like, lead both of us, like, to guessing. Yeah. And do you feel like that's um, in your experience – um from a guy's perspective obviously like mm-hmm. do you feel like doing like hetero dating do you feel like that's sort of like there's an this is equally true of men and women that like in your experience like men and women sort of like are hide the ball a little bit or don't sort of share honestly where they're at in terms of dating or is it sort of one side versus the other yeah i would say i mean to me it seems like i've seen it I've seen it on both sides. Mm-hmm. And it's uh, so like a lot of times you've been confused. Like, I just want to know where someone is. <laughs> yeah. You feel like you're just not getting totally, it. Totally, yeah. totally. Um, and and yeah, so I, I almost feel like this is, it's it's a responsibility for everyone on both sides to kind of, yeah, to kind of treat the other person like a, an actual like human being with like feelings and, and care. And like, and even if you're not interested in them, it's like, okay, how do I, how do I treat this person with respect? You know, mm-hmm. like one thing that, I see a lot of people do and and that I used to do um, a lot also is like 
almost like talking about the people you go on dates with, like as if you're like kind of like gossiping about them or, or slandering them. You know, you come back from a date and you're like, oh my God, this person just did the most embarrassing thing. Like it was weird. And like, and talking about them in, in a very callous way that like, I feel like you would never do to a normal person, you mm-hmm. know? Um, but somehow when we're dating, yeah, we, we, it, I feel like it, it almost like makes us feel better to like take like you, you, if you take a date down a peg, somehow it makes you seem like, I don't know, like, like you're, you're better. It inflates you a little bit. Mm. Um, and I feel like when it comes to dating, people are so, yeah, it's, it's one of the most vulnerable places for us. And it's where our egos are so on the line yeah. that I feel like, yeah, people almost, you know, kind of have some glee about like taking down yeah person you know something that's that reminds me of is um there it's not exactly what you're saying but but i think very related uh so i think it was sarah or someone showed me at some point on this instagram account called by felicia (laughs) i think is what it was called um which was like a it was like screenshots of like when it was like in sort of online dating or or tinder whatever when i think generally speaking a woman had turned down a guy's advances yeah who's and then all of a sudden he just sort of said like just crazy shit, just right. like the, the craziest, like meanest, like rudest stuff in reaction, which I, which I don't think is the specific problem you're talking about. But the, the reason it came to mind is like that idea of like that we're very fragile when we're sort of putting ourselves out there like that, like in yeah, an ego sense. Totally. And then sort of like the hurt that can come. And I think this is part of the avoidance of honesty, right? Like the, the hurt that can come from rejection yeah. ever can be can be so strong that people and and our our ten that's part of what leads us to not see the other person as as fully human or treat them like we normally would treat right. another human being and that sort of plays itself out in a number of different ways some of which are like abhorrent and insane and some of which are just like rude and, and a little mean but but it's all sort of on some level part of the same maybe challenge of, of dating totally yeah I think, um, yeah, I, I feel like people very, yeah, it's just such a sensitive place and people can get hurt a lot that like a lot of the guards are up. Also, I think the, I think the Tumblr was by Felipe. I feel like I've seen it before. Okay. Yeah. Something like that. Um, but we'll, we'll put it in the show notes. <laughs> we'll, yeah, we'll put the actual right one. In the yeah. Show notes, we'll put so. the right one in the show notes. Um, but yeah, it, it's something that, that is just so sensitive to people that, um, yeah, I feel like they can be really callous. Oh, yeah, Sarah Sarah R. in our live chat just posted by Felipe, the Instagram. Yes. Not by Felicia. <laughs> Thank you, Sarah R. Yeah. Um, and yeah, and I think a lot of this really stems from um, this idea, I think that a lot of people hold about dating, that if you, like, that dating is about finding someone who's, like, good enough, right? Mm-hmm. And, like, if you go on a date and you don't like the other person, then they're, like, beneath you somehow. And, and if they were just, like, good enough or cool enough or better like then you would have liked them it's like a hierarch hierarchical kind of dating thing and i feel like that mindset leads to a lot of this right so like if i'm rejected then it feels like oh i wasn't good enough like this mm. this person is super awesome and they're above me and i'm below and that yeah. really hurts and right. because of that you know maybe i'll go back and talk shit about them or whatever to try to bring them down make yeah, myself yeah. feel better um, but I actually think a more accurate model and that I think something people need to understand is dating is not hierarchical. It's, it's about compatibility. You know, it's not, it's, it's about, you know, finding someone and if they don't, if you guys aren't a fit, it just means you guys' chemistry is off. It just means you guys are not a compatible match for each other. It has nothing to do with someone being better or not. It has nothing to do with someone being more intelligent or more attractive or whatever. It's just that particular match just didn't work. Hmm. And I think the more people really understand that, like they'll stop taking dating so personally. And at the same time, I think they'll also start treating the other person with a, like kind of a little more like care and empathy mm-hmm. as well. Um, yeah. And it's, it's almost like treating it more like, like friends, right? Like when we're trying, like when we meet a person that we're not romantically interested, but just we're like potentially could be a new friend. Like if, if you wind up having a nice conversation at a party or whatever but then you sort of like just like don't really click as friends moving forward you maybe hang out once and then sort of like don't hang out anymore like we don't think about it as like oh one person was better or worse right right? when high school we probably did but like post high (laughs) school you don't like think about it in a hierarchical sense you just think about in terms of like oh like who who you sort of click with 
Yeah. Um, and so you just sort of take that more of that sort of framework or mentality to, to dating, which I think is really hard for a whole bunch of reasons. Yeah. Um, but I agree. if you can do sounds, sounds like the right approach. To yeah. Me. And yeah, I, I like that a lot. And, and that also like when you go to hang out with a friend, like you don't also have like crazy high expectations. It's, oh my God, is this, is this going to be like the best friend that I'm going to have for the rest of my entire life? Are we going to be BFF forever? It's like, yeah. there's a, yeah, there's a lot of ways in which we date where we, we just make it super hard and stressful for ourselves and put expectations like crazy and feel disappointed like crazy. And on one minute we feel like we're on top of the moon and the other, we feel like where's the scum of the earth. Um, so yeah, I, I almost feel like one, one way I'm like approaching this is like, just, yeah, just trying to feel, just trying to ground dating a little more for myself and like not have it be such this high stakes, high stakes thing. Yeah. Yeah. It's just people just hanging out and some, some you'll have more chemistry with and some you won't. And those you do have more chemistry with, you'll probably see more and have more yeah. experiences and those you don't you probably will see less, you yeah. know, but not have to tie ego into it as much. Yeah. Um, so is there like yeah. a, I'm curious, like, um, so I think all of us, almost all of us, you know, in principle would like to be more on it. You know, I don't think people are setting out to be dishonest or right. play games. I think it's like really, really, it's difficult in general to be honest about hard things with people you don't know very well. <laughs> totally. Right. Like that's just a hard thing. And 100%. invariably almost every time when you're starting to date someone, someone you don't know pretty well, who now you're in an emotionally complex relationship with right you know, small, smaller relationship and big r and like right. and, and the stakes are higher stakes are higher people There's, get hurt more yeah. and so it's like of all things to be avoidant about in terms of like being honest about difficult things it's it's the easiest of all sort of like <laughs> places where you'd, where you'd sort of want to yeah. avoid so like i'm curious when you've as you've worked on as it sounds like you have over the last you know year or, mm -hmm. or whatever um being more honest what were the like some of the initial things that sort of like were maybe a little bit easier to start being honest about? Like are there are one or two types of conversations that you sort of what was the bottom rung on the ladder? Yeah. If you can think of one where it was like, okay, I'm look, I'm a person, I'm trying to get better at this. I'm not gonna be able to be like radically honest about everything. Um, but like I can be more honest about this consistently when I'm dating. Was there like one or two things like that? Yeah, um, I would say for me, one of the things that uh, I really like that made things a lot better in my dating life was being a lot more open um, about like kind of my needs and wants like early on. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, a lot of things guys and girls do is like you start dating, you seeing each other and like and people don't know like, oh, is this does this person kind of want something exclusive? They want something serious. Um, it's that kind of whole the whole DTR thing we're talking about. And something I've really enjoyed is actually like early on, whether that's like in the first date or, you know, after we first kiss or whatever, but to just like talk about it, like to just like, to just discuss like, oh, so, you know, what are you looking for? You know, mm -hmm. like, and, and what kind of, what are your needs in relationship or, and, and for me, and that kind of opens the door for me to be able to talk about what I'm looking for also. Um, and it's been good because sometimes there's incompatibilities there, you know, right, and, right. and it's great to like get that figured out early on rather than, you know, when your people are invested and feelings could get really hurt. Um, so you'll do even on a first date, you'll like, you'll have that conversation. Yeah. Sometimes, and it's often, not like, a, and it's always. not like a heavy thing, right? I'm not like, so like, you know, yeah. where, where do you want to go with this? Yeah. But it's just kind of like, I found it just like a part of like getting to know someone, like kind of like what they're kind of looking for and what they're exploring in I, life. Um, I think that can feel like a heavy thing to people. Sure. Like, is there anything that, you do in particular to help it not feel like a heavy thing that you could sort of like put your finger on? Uh, it's hard to put my finger on it, but I think, I guess for me, just internally, like I just, I don't believe it means anything more than, than just what it's asking. Right. Mm -hmm. Like I think a lot of times in dating, we're like, Oh, if I ask him, you know, if he's interested or like, what is he looking for? Yeah. Then he will interpret that as like, oh, she wants to lock me down for life or something. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I guess for me, maybe it's easier since I'm the guy, guy asking yeah. because I guess the stereotype is like, you know, the girl wants to lock down the guy. But maybe this is something at least guys can do is like as me being able to bring it up. I think it it helps open that door. Um and, and just also just starts to set a precedent for just like open and honest communication. Like, mm. I guess another thing, that that's been helpful for me is just like the idea of like 
noticing when I'm playing games, noticing mm -hmm. when I'm like trying to, when I'm holding back information or doing something so I can get a, a desired result from mm -hmm. someone. And as soon as I notice I'm doing that, like just, I just like try to like stop <laughs> yeah. and, and like when in doubt, just always just be open and honest. Yeah. You know, I think like, if we're talking about this idea of the compatibility that like you're just trying to find someone you're compatible with and, yeah. and have the right chemistry with, like you can only do that if you lay your cards out, if you show who you really are and what you're, you know, what you're actually thinking and feeling and what you want and then and invite the other person to do the same. Yeah. And if you guys aren't sharing that information, then it's, then it's going to be really hard to tell if you guys are actually having yeah, yeah. compatibility or not, you right. know, because you're not really seeing the other person yeah. and vice versa. Yeah. Um, I will also say like something that's been a, a big influence in this has actually been um, like my friendships and like and also dating uh, polyamorous people. Mm. And I'm not sure how many people in the audience are familiar with this, but it's it's the idea of um, it's like dating that is it's, uh, you know, you can be dating or in relationship with multiple people, but it's doing that in a way that is ethical and honest and consensual. Um, they I think they often call it consensual, open and honest non-monogamy mm. and, uh, you know, living in an orgasmic meditation house before and um, and also just being surrounded by a lot of free spirits in the Bay Area. Um, I'm, yeah, I'm surrounded by a lot of polyamorous people. Um, and actually like, you know, my interactions with them and, and some of the dates I've gone on, uh, with polyamorous women have like really like inspired me in this mm -hmm. area. I think for someone to, to do non-monogamy in a very like consensual and open way, like you've got to take your like dating game and your self-awareness to like a whole nother level. Mm -hmm. You know, you need to be, yeah, like that whole, like defining your needs and wants early on, I think really like comes like comes from that also you know a lot of people are you know like what what is it you're looking for what what are your needs and wants you know like what are your boundaries like these are conversations i hear people in polyamorous relationships have all the time and i really liked it and mm. it's i feel like in some ways i almost feel like i've been uh practicing like dating with polyamorous principles <laughs> mm, interesting. <laughs> yeah and like and just just being very open and honest um and yeah and like and letting and like yeah, I guess like trying to take care of the other person and like, and, and letting them like have all the information and doing so in a very loving and like kind way. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. that's cool. Yeah. The, the, the like tiny bit that I sort of like understand about sort of poly dating comes from like sort of conversation with you and, and Catherine and, um, yeah, that's like the one thing that stuck with me is sort of when you've been, when you've talked to me about it before, it's just like the radical openness that's required to do it well. Like openness that's, that's seems like it's an honestly far beyond what the norm would be. Like the norm for openness and, and sort of like honesty about some of these issues and polyamorous dating seems like it's pretty different than the norm yeah. in monogamous dating, which is and, interesting. Yeah, and because it's it, it can be so much more triggering and, and you're dealing with stuff that's very, uh, yeah, can be very sensitive. Like, I feel like people really, you can't truly um, an ethically polyamorous date without like really upping, up, upping your game and mm -hmm. like being more self-aware and taking a lot more ownership. Um, there's this polyamorous girl that I see from time to time and like every one of my interactions with her has like sh has like definitely shown me where I was like hiding or pulling back, you know, and like and she's like called me out on it, <laughs> and mm. like she noticed like when I was like kind of like yeah like uh, just like taking a long time to respond to texts and just like pulling back and like and she made us talk about it, mm. and it was and even though we're not like in a super serious relationship, we're just dating. It was like it was really eye opening for me to like, just have a conversation about it. You know, mm. she's like, it feels like you're pulling away and like, you're hiding some things. Um, do you want to talk about, it? is there like, are there some needs that you have that aren't being met? And it was like, yeah, actually I do. Like, I actually, I really need my own independent like time and my own space and like, and just to be able to talk about that and then have someone hear you and listen and also talk about their needs and wants. And like, that was kind of mind blowing for me. Mm. <laughs> and like, and every time I see her, like we have, I learn more stuff like that. And yeah. I, I, and it's like, it's really fascinating. It's really freeing. I think to be able to talk about these things and to talk about jealousy or to like, even hear her talk about like the other guys she's dating and like something about that. Um, it just feels like, yeah, just more open and mm. honest instead of like hiding and playing cards. Like, 
And, uh, and yeah, and I hope to keep on taking more and more steps in that direction with my dating. That's cool. Yeah. That's great. I'd, I'd yeah. love to close out. I thought we got a really good um, listener question here from Lisa K asking if, if the sort of like egotistical dating or sort of like the challenges we're talking about is more a product of modern online dating culture or um, something that's always been present but maybe we're becoming more aware of it now it's a big meaty topic you know, <laughs> totally like dating's probably changed a lot and then in some ways probably not changed at all over, totally you know, 100 years or a thousand years yeah but i don't know what's your what are your quick reflections on yeah that? my my quick thought on that is um i feel like it's always been there but um technology and the and the internet what it's done for all sorts of things including dating is it's like turned up the volume on it mm. to a crazy level. So I think it's always been there, but now we are like seeing that and like on like on crazy high levels. Yeah. And it's, and it also has permeated the culture in interesting ways. Like when I use Tinder and like, I'm just sitting there and I'm just like left, right. No, yes, no, no, yes, yes. Like, and doing that super quickly. Um, I feel like that has to affect me a little bit. Like there has to affect me in some way of like just viewing people as kind of yeses and nos yeah, and yeah. just making less human. Yeah. And I, and, and I feel like you have, you know, millions of people doing that. And I, and I feel like that does affect dating culture. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense to me. And I think there is, so there's a million levels of analysis you can do on like <laughs> yeah. dating and marriage changing over time, which totally. is a whole separate, like three hour podcast. <laughs> that we won't get into now. But like another thing that strikes me about this dynamic, in addition to like the sort of, tinder angle on it that you said is like so i think a lot of times like pre you know pre like the availability of like not only the internet but like easy quick travel all over the world right and like lives are much more mobile and communities that have like expanded dramatically like our dating circles were probably much smaller right like totally. as people like we lived in smaller community i mean you can go like way back to hunter gatherer societies or but just also like 100 years earlier and people didn't like leave you know go across the country for college by and large you right know, people like largely like, grew up and stayed in like the same relatively small like relatively tight-knit community more than now like you're sort of like you're staying within the same pool so you can't just you know probably your ability to to um I don't know what to say, like play games with people or just like right. sort of like move around and date a ton of people no. and then like leave people in the dust and move on. Like was probably a bit limited yeah. when like you're in a small town where everyone knows everyone and it's totally. each other's business. You and know? when everyone knows everyone, there's more accountability. Yeah. Like you can't really like, I feel like if you treated someone super callously, like that would spread, like word would go around that you're kind of a dick. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. Right. Um, and there so, were their own yeah. downsides to dating in that period too. Totally. Right? perhaps probably even bigger than these downsides but um yeah but yeah like different different challenges totally and and i feel like yeah and i feel like things are only going to get more heightened <laughs> as technology yeah. just becomes more prevalent and as on as dating becomes more and more online and easier um so i think it's more important than ever that people really pay attention to how they date and to do it in a, in a way that feels in alignment with them and their values and how you would treat like other human beings in your life. Yeah. You think know? about more like the rest of your life yeah. rather than this crazy other yeah. sort of where it's okay thing. to, to yeah, we're totally different rules apply. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Cool, man. I like that. Yeah, awesome. Great. Cool. Appreciate you sharing that. All right. Well, that closes out our potluck and we're moving right into the quick picks. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> our top three <laughs> of the month, uh, recommendations, things we've been sharing, so yeah, so Gabe, if you want to start with your number one, yeah, sure. Uh, so my number one is a is a book recommendation. Um, it's called When Breath Becomes Air. Mm. Uh, I finished it. Actually, like basically started and finished it during my backpacking trip. So you can get through it pretty quickly. Um, it's by a guy named Paul uh, Kalanithi. Okay. Um, it's a really amazing book. It was on like a bunch of people's top ten list. So I'm sure like a bunch of people listening have, have already read it or or maybe were thinking about reading it, but. Uh -huh. It's an amazing book. It's by so Paul, the author, um, is a 35-year-old neurosurgery resident. You get the sense he's like basically one of the top neurosurgery residents in the country. He's uh -huh. this amazing resume, amazing pedigrees, won all these awards. Just like this brilliant guy who at 35 uh, is diagnosed with terminal lung cancer. Um, yeah, I've heard of this book. I've heard yeah, great things. It's yeah. as good as people say. You know, it's just like everyone should read this book. It's just like, <laughs> it's just amazing. And, and, and the, the reason I think it's so amazing is there's all these, like, there's all these, uh, sort of themes that he like beautifully ties together. So he's someone who's 
job as an emerging doctor, as a resident, was to help shepherd people through like life-death transitions, mm. right? And then he gets his own. And he's this guy who was like, like went into medicine with a deeply philosophical perspective, like looking, like wanting to go into medicine, like to explore like the intersections of life and death and how humans find meaning in them. Um, and then he, as he's doing that, he has his own death all of a sudden transition to contemplate. And so wow. he's like, he's like all these different angles he's seeing things from and like tying things together, like as he goes through this journey, um, which, you know, he's struggling and he's struggling. It's not like a, uh, you know, as, as probably almost anyone dying of, of terminal cancer in their thirties who like, who had this whole amazing life, like right. planned out ahead of them. Like, it's not like, it's not like he just has like quick, easy answers that he gives us. Like he, but he sort of walks the reader through his, his struggle and, and what he got out of it. Um, and what he's like learning as he's going through the journey. Um, and he's a guy who loved like literature and philosophy. So he's also yeah. just like a great writer and thinker. Um, it's a really, really sad book, as mm. you imagine. Like yeah. it's, it was like I was just like by myself, like crying in the wilderness. Wow. So I was like, it was like a very difficult book. But yeah. um, but man, it's I, I'm not sure there's anyone who I wouldn't recommend the book to. It's really, really fantastic. Wow, and that's when breath becomes air mm -hmm. by Paul Kalanithi. Paul Kalanithi. We'll put that in the show notes. Awesome. Dude, what's uh, what do you got? All right, my number one is Impossible Burger. I don't know if you've heard about this, but um, this guy came to uh, interview for my house. I, I live in this crazy community. <laughs> and uh, and he works at Impossible Burger, and he brought over. He had some extra, like, five pounds of meat, and he, like, brought it over. Um, and I had never heard about this, but he was like, you know, he was like, hey, is it okay if I bring over this Impossible Burger, this vegetarian, you know, meat substitute? And I was like, yeah, that's sure. And I told some of my housemates and people started flipping out <laughs> yeah. and they're like, impossible burger. Are you serious? We get to try it. <laughs> and I was like, whoa, what is this? So like, I actually, I ended up learning from everyone that it's, there's this new like company that basically did some crazy science engineering to make an entirely plant-based burger that pretty much looks, tastes, and even like bleeds and acts like meat. And, uh, but it's, it's made all out of plant material, including wheat, coconut oil, and potatoes. Um, and the magic ingredient is something called heme, which mm. they've somehow figured out how to do in their lab. But heme is like the component that makes meat like act like Meaty. meat. Yeah. yeah. And like well, what makes it bleed also and do all and that texture and the taste. So, yeah. So um, he brought it over. And apparently right now there's only four locations in the U.S. Yeah. that serve this in a restaurant. Like it's still they're still working on it. Um, and the burgers cost like twenty five dollars. <laughs> Um, but he brings over five pounds to our house and we start cooking with it and the way it even starts to grill and sizzle, like just like meat. And it tasted fucking great. It was That's really awesome. good. It was even, it even like kind of got crispy on the top and the bottom, like in a way that meat doesn't. And I kind of like that even a little mm. more. Um, it was really good. Um, I, and I'm a, I'm a pretty big meat eater. I love meat. But if you hadn't have told me that that was a plant burger, and especially if I had eaten it, like, you know, with all the trappings of a regular burger, yeah. I don't think I would have been able to tell the You difference. really don't think you would have known. No. That's amazing. And it's, it's really impressive. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, so I've been wanting to try this for, I think I read about an article like a year or two ago, and I've been like really wanting to try one of these. There's, there's a one restaurant in LA that serves them like between 10 and two on like Monday through Thursday or something. So it's just like, <laughs> just like haven't gotten around to making it there. Um, but that's amazing. I'm, I'm like, as a lifelong vegetarian, I'm obviously not the audience, right? Like right. the whole point is to like get to meat eaters who exactly. meat and like give them a, a meat free option. Yeah. Um, which I think is a great idea and like super interesting, but yeah, yeah I've like read people say that it's like 95% indistinguishable. Yeah. Um, which sounds like it was your experience. So yeah. That's and, really cool. And this is crazy. Like this is the, just the beginnings of what we're going to do with food science. Yeah. Like I, I feel like if this is where we're at in 2016 in like, like 50 years, a hundred years, like I, yeah, I feel like we're going to have a lot, a lot of options and they'll probably be indistinguishable from the real thing. Yeah. Which could be really good for us environmentally. Yeah. And otherwise. For, and otherwise ethically. Yeah. Um, but yeah, one quick question I had was I kept thinking of you when I was, when I was eating the burger, cause you've never tried meat in your Correct. entire life. Yeah, uh, most switch. vegetarians switch at a certain point, 
but Gabe has actually just been vegetarian his entire 29 years of existence. Yep. And 30. um 30. That's right. My bad. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, like and I was curious like do you think you would even find it tasty I don't or know. appealing? I don't know. It's a great question, but I'm curious. Yeah. Cuz <laughs> I know you said when you've smelled meat it made you a little nauseous. Well, so I think I think most meat smells like neutral to me, like neither okay. neither good nor bad. Like the smell is strong, but but it doesn't. I don't smell it and think it smells amazing or not repulsive. The one exception is bacon. I really the smell of bacon is too strong. For me. <laughs> I like can't. I've I've been actually eating more veggie bacon and enjoying it. So yeah. maybe that will change. But like the smell of real bacon is sort of overwhelming for me. So yeah, interesting. Yeah. Well, we we will wait and find out when we finally get an Impossible Burger available yeah. worldwide. We'll do a special episode of the podcast to see. Will Gabe puke or not? Yeah. <laughs> and well, will yeah. he like it? The world wants to know. The world wants we'll, to know. We'll find out soon. Awesome. Um, cool, man. Uh, so my uh, second thing um, is a quick reflection on Christmas. Um, so I, I, I've been thinking more about this this year for hmm. some reason. So I have like my relationship. So I'm Jewish. I've sort of always been Jewish. Uh, and my relationship on, with Christmas has actually evolved a lot over the huh. last um few years i would say interesting i think like growing up so my dad's side of the family celebrates christmas so i've like lots of like really positive christmas memories as a child so you'd go to like my grandparents like my dad's parents place in upstate new york and spend christmas with them and it was it was great i had like very positive childhood associations with that but i think i also like as i got a little older like middle school high school like got a little bit of like a chip on my shoulder in terms of christmas mm -hmm. like being Jewish and being like part of this like pretty small minority that like doesn't celebrate the thing that everyone else is celebrating. And um, yeah, just feeling like a little like not seen and like everyone's assuming that you're in on this thing, but you're not in on it. Yeah. And like I, it, to the point where like I would be sort of frustrated when people would say Merry Christmas to me because they were assuming something about me that wasn't true. And, you know, I just have like some like frustration and triggers around it and like, yeah, I think like a little bit of like a chip on my shoulder, you know? Yeah. Um, And it's been nice over the last few years to sort of like evolve my relationship with Christmas. Um, I think over time, I'm not sure like exactly what it was, but I think I've just become less, a lot less like defensive about the whole thing. Mm -hmm. Um, And just like, rather than feeling like I'm left out of something or that like frustrated that, um, people are making assumptions about me. It's just, it's felt less personal recently. And I've more like found like joy in the joy that everyone else gets from Christmas and like an appreciation for like, you know, I think like things that bind us together as like a culture and a country yeah. are really important. And I think like, even if I don't obviously like religiously celebrate Christmas, I've grown to appreciate it as something that like, because like 98% of Americans <laughs> like do religiously celebrate, at least like on some basic right. level. Um, it's a thing that binds us together. And I think those things are beautiful. And so, um, I've come to really like appreciate Christmas and like say Merry Christmas to people like on Christmas instead of <laughs> happy holidays. And like, I'm sure there's like some time where I say that to a Jewish person and then they say it back to me. And that's sort of weird that we're both saying Merry Christmas <laughs> to each other, like even though it's celebrate Christmas, but like, I just like, uh, it's been really nice to, um, shift my relationship to it and just have like a totally positive relationship with um with christmas even as someone who doesn't celebrate it yeah that's awesome that's a christmas miracle the christmas miracle yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> cool all right well for my number two i want to talk about my my own christmas present to myself and it is i have it right here it is a three quarters guitar oh so people on the live video can see that it's basically it's a guitar that's pretty small it's about three quarters the size of a regular guitar and um my god i love this thing it's so much fun. It sounds great. Like it's it it sounds to me like yeah, the tone is great. It feels kind of like a a regular guitar but just a little quieter and a little less bass. But the size of it makes it so much more fun to play for me. Mm. And I love um I think just the portability of it, how how light it is, how easy it is to carry around makes me actually want to play more. Like mm. I find myself picking this up a lot more and playing around with it. Um, I was inspired because uh, a friend of my house, Kurt, he would come over all the time and he'd bring this little guitar with him. And every time it was around, like, I was just like, that looks like fun. I want to pick it up. I want to play. And I'd be strumming and I'd be playing so much more than with like a bulkier big guitar. Hmm. Um, and yeah, it's kind of, it's kind of been bringing guitar back into my life. Like I was really into it, um, years ago, but 
yeah, it's just like slowly, I feel like I've just been more excited about it. And I was excited about finally like buying another guitar. I haven't owned another guitar since like 10 years ago. Um, so it's been really fun. And, uh, and now that I've been playing this a lot, like the regular guitar just seems way too big. Mm, like it just seems yeah. so bulky and annoying to carry around. Like I feel like I can't walk around with it without bumping into stuff. Um, so this has been really fun. Oh, and also, so the brand that most people recommend and the one that my friend Kurt has is a baby Taylor. And I think you can get those on Amazon for like 300, 350 or so. Um, they're, they're really good guitars. It sounds great. Um, the one I got is actually, is called sunlight, uh, GWT nine, three, five. Um, and the guy at the guitar shop swore this was just as good quality, if not better than the baby Taylor, but, uh, you can't really find them anywhere. So I recommend the baby Taylor if you're looking for something, but, um, oh, and also if you get a three quarters guitar, get a strap. Also, it is so much fun to like walk around with one of these little guitars and cause they're so portable. Like you're just walking around and like, I just, it's been so much fun just like walking and playing and going from room to room and just like, yeah, I'm in love with playing guitar again. It's so much fun. That's cool, man. <laughs> I didn't even know three quarters. I think, I guess I'd heard them before, but not in a way that I actually remember it. So I didn't even know that was a thing. Yeah. I had always heard of them as like for kids, like, mm. or like, or just shitty travel guitars. And it wasn't until I played my friend's guitar that I was like, oh, this is great. This, this sounds, sounds great. great. It yeah. feels great. Uh, for some people, it'd be easier to play because it's a, the, yeah, the neck is a little smaller. Yeah. So smaller hands. So yeah. It makes me wonder awesome. why everyone has normal size guitars. <laughs> yeah. You can just Every, have a smaller one. Everyone should get great. smaller yeah. ones, man. Yeah. They're so much more fun and easy to carry around. Yeah. So yeah, that's my nice. number two. Nice. Good to know. Sweet. Um, so my uh, third and last thing, uh, a quick um, reflection or recommendation around um, communal housing, which is something I've been looking, co-housing, you know, something I've been looking into a lot more recently. Yeah. Um, inspired in large part by, yeah, no, I know you do. <laughs> we have a whole podcast on this. Um, but um, inspired in part by by my buddies, Waldo and Peter, who who for a while have been like kicking around this idea of like, hey, instead of us like each buying our own houses like in living potentially far apart and paying like completely obscene amounts of money that you have to pay to buy a house in right. LA. Raising our families now, on our own. Yeah. Having to hire sitters if you ever want to do something. Yeah. Yeah. It's um, like, what if we like found a lot that was big enough that we could sort of like plop down like three slightly smaller houses, but then like share a big backyard, et cetera, et cetera. And I just like, as soon as like I started thinking about the idea, I was like, oh yeah, of course I would rather do that than just have like, my own house far away, whether that's 10 minutes away or half an hour away, like LA is a big spread out place versus um, like where my closest friends and family and community live. It just, it seemed like a no brainer. So I've been thinking a lot more about it recently and like doing a lot more research. And I've really enjoyed like diving in and learning more about it. Um, I've like really leaned on um, people like Elon Neat, who's you know longtime fan of the show, longtime fan, uh, who is an architect and has like you know like a ton of like knowledge about like how you could do something like this that she shared with me. I went and toured this place called Emerald Village um, near San Diego. That's this really amazing um, uh, sort of community that these um, these five families, ten people together, that sort of know each other through Burning Man, built this really cool sort of communal. Huh living situation for themselves on nine acres outside San Diego. And it was, it was inspirational in a whole bunch of ways. Part of it was like, it was like nine acres and like felt like pretty like rural and like off the grid, yeah. but they were only like 10 minutes from a grocery store and you could like commute to San Diego for work. If you had to, it was like this cool combination of like pretty like, you know, like rural and like sort of like a little off the grid and sort of like really its own contained community, but like not outside of civilization really in a functional way. Um, and it's just been sparking a lot of thoughts and interests and I've really been enjoying, I've just been like emailing random people who are starting co-housing projects and be like, Hey, can I talk to you on the (laughs) phone? And like, can you like teach me about like what you've learned? And, and, um, it's been fun to be in like research and learning mode about something I I know very little about, but, but have a strong interest in, um, and I'm interested in like continuing to like explore and learn. Um, so, um, something that. Other folks who feel like sort of uninspired about the idea of just having their own single family home isolated from like potentially far away from a lot of their friends and right. family. Um, encourage folks to look into it. It's it's not easy to do nowadays, but I think it's going to get easier over time. It's totally. more popular. Yeah. And, and I'll just say like, I'm a huge, 
huge fan of community living. I feel like that is probably one of the most important things in my life right now. Uh, I've been living in community, intentional communities for the last year and a half. I actually moved up to the Bay Area to find an intentional community to live in. Um, and God, it's it's brought me so much joy and it's been so fulfilling in a deep way that I feel like and fulfilling something I've been looking for for years. And I truly believe that all humans need some form of like community and like community where they live, not just at their workplace, not just Thursdays at a happy hour. Um, yeah. And, uh, I, I'm really interested also, like, uh, you know, further down the line, like, let's say if I ever, you know, settle down and, and had a family, like what kind of, like, how could I keep that community like mentality in my life? Yeah. Um, and yeah, I mean, humans evolved as like tribal creatures, you know, like we, we grew up with other people, like a lot of other people, like supporting each other and taking care of each other and looking out for one another. Um, and in my experience living like that for a year and a half, uh, I think it's like a basic human need. Mm. Um, so that's really exciting that you're exploring that. Um, Lisa K from the live chat linked to, a to an article that says, welcome to Bestie Row. Lifelong friends build row of tiny houses in the middle of nowhere. That sounds right in the sweet. alley. Should throw this into the show we'll notes. We'll link that yeah. in the show notes. Um, and our friend Alex Z said, tiny housing eco-village for the win. Um, she knows of what she speaks. Yeah, yeah, she's living in one right now. And and me and Alex actually ha- are just huge proponents of of community living. And we're, yeah. we're both like, I don't know if I could ever go back. Like, yeah, yeah, this, yeah. Is, this is such an amazing, fulfilling way to live. Um, and... Just to tie this into our dating conversation earlier, you know how our culture just seems obsessed with like finding the one and it puts so much pressure on like on romantic relationship as like being the the end all be all of like yeah. fixing everything. Your other half. Yeah. yeah. Um, from what I found with community living, I actually feel that 90% of that, that what people are looking for in romantic relationship are actually them crying out for community. Mm, like a lot of like that feeling seen, feeling understood, having people to witness your life, to have people to take care of you when you're sick uh, and to have people to laugh with when you're cooking, like to, to enjoy that together. I think a lot of that, we're putting so much pressure onto one person, onto a romantic relationship to fulfill what used to be fulfilled by an entire tribe. Mm. Um, so yeah, look, look forward to us talking more about community living going forward this is yeah. <laughs> a topic that's near and dear to my heart and it's really exciting that that you're um exploring possible options i'd yeah. love to love to see what what you're exploring yeah we'll see where it goes awesome all right and then my last quick pick i want to talk a little bit about rituals mm. and for me i've just been it's just been uh more apparent for me in the last month like just how important rituals are in my life um i live a very um so I work from home. I run my own animation studio. I'm in completely in charge of my own schedule. So I don't go into an office, but I found that the times in my life where I don't have like kind of a daily ritual or like something to ground me, um, end up feeling really stressful and, uh, chaotic and like not in a good way. Um, and I've just noticed like for me, like it's been so important to have rituals that I can kind of stick to. Um, and not too tightly. If I, if I stick to rituals too, like intensely, then it, it steals my soul <laughs> a little bit, but finding the right balance, like kind of having a routine every day, uh, for me, like having a creative routine every day. Like I've been, I've gotten to the routine the last month of after lunch, I get some caffeine and then I go write for like 30 to 60 minutes. Um, and that's now a habit like it's just something i do without even thinking about and it's been amazing um i go to this like boba cafe every sunday (laughs) and it's like this this respite where i just like get out of the house like i get some work done i do some creative work i read my kindle and like it's something i can look forward to at the end of each week um and also like talking about community again but like having uh we in our community we have uh family dinners every wednesday and sunday night and it's and ritual is just so important. It's like something we can always look forward to. It's something that has its own momentum. So you you don't need to like keep thinking about it. Like, oh, when am I going to see my friends again? Oh, I guess we need to schedule something. Oh, I need to reach out to a bunch of people. Like all that time and energy gets taken out when it's a ritual, when it's something yeah. that people have set on their calendars and look forward to. And it's just, yeah, I just think ritual is so important and, and powerful. And, uh, and it's just something that, I've been playing with a lot lately. Yeah. Dude, that really resonates. I um there's been a bunch of 
sort of angles recently that I feel like I've had similar perspective, like an increased appreciation for rituals, one of which was getting married. Um, And I think like a lot of my perspective, I think like when Sarah and I got engaged and we were, um, we were starting to plan the wedding. I think I looked sort of negatively on a lot of the normal rituals of marriage because weddings on one level, it's supposed to be so unique. It's about like your relationship and your, and especially like nowadays, that's like the, the maybe previously, that's not how people looked at it, but like yeah. it's supposed to be like the reflection. And we really wanted our wedding to be a reflection of like the two of us and our relationship, not just feel like any wedding. And so I sort of looked at rituals as a negative, something that would like dragging me down, but we had to do. And I think actually going through the process of planning and then having the wedding, actually, I really shifted my perspective like i grew to like i mean we customized our wedding in a bunch of ways that like i loved and i was really excited about it yeah. and I, I i was really happy that it felt like mine and that people said like it felt like ours like a unique thing it did. but i also was really grateful for the ritual i actually I, I found a lot of like power and meaning in some of the things that we were doing were things that our ancestors have done for thousands of years right. And like our other people in our culture do, like everyone in our culture does like the same thing. And like, and, uh, you know, for reasons I, I, I can't perfectly articulate, I just found that really wonderful and like a real appreciation for that. And I've sort of been noticing an appreciation for ritual in um, all sorts of different parts of my life now because of that. So, yeah, ritual really is awesome. Resonates. As long as you keep the right balance with it. Yeah. If, it if you adhere to it too strictly, it becomes a prison. Mm. And if you... And if you just like dismiss it altogether, you're kind of missing something kind of special yeah. <laughs> and yeah. like and beautiful that can be appreciated. You know what the, the Burning Man theme is for 2017? <sighs> is it ritual? Radical ritual. Oh yeah. boy. Yeah. <laughs> we just on it. <laughs> yeah. So uh so awesome. more Quick awesome. Well that's that's the end of our quick pick segment. But uh we have a few comments from the live chat. Uh, Zobel or Alex Zobel, who we said uh, I was like saying, you know. We are both huge proponents of community living. She was like, yeah, never going back. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, she agrees. It takes the pressure off romantic relationships. Totally. Really interesting. Totally. Yeah. Um, also, Anna Y um, said uh, something about she always had a dream of like getting at like living together with her be- with her best friends and raising their kids together. Um, and just on that point, um, I actually have a friend in Berkeley who mm-hmm. grew up you know, as a child in that exact situation, she grew up in this big house. It's like almost like three houses connected together. It's this crazy hobbit house. It's amazing. And, um, and yeah, and all those houses were occupied by like different families. And she grew up just like always surrounded by like different aunts and uncles and other kids to play with. And she loved it. And she, it was always just like this big family and, and everyone taking care of each other. And she says that she will not, like she wants to have kids eventually, but she will not do that in a normal, like single nuclear family. Like she, she really, she loved that community experience so much and she wants to raise her kids like that. Yeah. So it is possible, you know, yeah, if yeah. that's, if, if you're, if you're looking to do that, it is possible. Yeah. And I think the more people that do it, the more possible, the the easier it will get. Yeah. Like the, the, the more mainstream it is, the more, like I see a lot of people like in LA, there's this group that's trying to like build something like this, but there's nothing else like this in LA. And I think like the more that it exists, the more that there's models for it, the more, the easier it'll be for people like us to like replicate those models rather than having to like build something from scratch. Totally. Yeah. And it's I, exciting. and I think just like, like the tiny home movement has kind of exploded. Yeah, yeah. I, I really believe that in like the next five to 10 years, community living will also get mainstream and will become like a viable alternative for a lot of people yeah. to live. Yeah. Totally so. agree. Awesome. Well, cool. Well, that brings us to the end of our podcast. Thanks so much for listening. Um, so Gabe Rose, where can we find you on the internet this week? Uh, so, you know, I have my uh, Twitter handle at Gabe Rose. I also actually uh, recently got a little personal website up, Woo-hoo! which I was excited about, www.gayrose.com. There's not much on it now, but um, just like built a little something that I can sort of expand on and, and do over time. I'm looking forward to like blogging and writing a little more. That's something that's been an attention of mine for a while, but something I haven't actually just gotten out and done. So now I have the pressure of having a website with a blog on the front page. I feel like, oh, maybe I'll for me uh, do this a little more. Yeah, just get a little writing ritual going. Yeah. You're, you're good to go. <laughs> yeah. What about you? Where can we find you? Yeah, so you can find me on Twitter at Jamin underscore Yi. That's J-A-E-M-I-N underscore Y-I. And, um, and yeah, on my website, jaminyee.com, um, I've been writing and, and 
posting a lot more in the last month or two. It's been awesome. Uh, I just put up a, my first video blog post about um, why therapists are fucking awesome and you should go see one. And uh, I was really proud of that. It was, and a follow-up post on how to find one, yeah, which is and the if, lot of thing a lot of people struggle with. And if with, you're so. looking, there's a follow-up post on how to find an awesome therapist. Um, so yeah, so go check that out. And yeah, thank you so much for listening and we'll see you guys next month. Next month. Until then, drive safe and be good to each other. <laughs> we need to work on our time. <laughs>